The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. to look at the Word of God in Psalm 23. And here's what we're going to do. Pretty much from now, mid-July until the end of September, we're going to be in the summer of Psalms. And so we're going to look at one Psalm one week that's more familiar. So that would be Psalm 23. Next week, we're going to look at a Psalm, and we haven't, there's a couple we're deciding on, but we're going to look at one that's not so familiar. We're going to mix it up a bit. So you get some familiar, you get some not familiar, but the, the point is, is that we want to bring Scripture before you in these times that remind us kind of what we're about, what we're supposed to do. The Psalms are that. It's This Psalm is probably the most well-known Psalm in the world. You go to any funeral, you go to any uh, serious event, more than likely this Psalm is going to come out. And most of you all have it memorized. Uh, if you're of a certain age in the King James Version, I'll be reading out of the ESV. So you may hear some words that are a tad bit different, but that's okay. The gist is there, and uh, let's just read it together. I don't have a, a beautiful opening today. just want to read the Word and get into the Word as we do. Psalm 23, very familiar to you, but may God use it to refresh your soul this morning. Let's read it together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and He leads me beside still waters." He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And you anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy, I think we just sang that, shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall or I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Actually, the ESV is pretty close to the King James for the most part, but still, it's, it may be a little different reading for some of you. Guys, let's pray together. Summer of Psalms, we're going to kick this off with Psalm 23. Let's pray together, and we'll start our sermon this morning. Fathers, we come before you. The, it is so easy, Lord, as we look at a familiar scripture to, to, to kind of shift into neutral uh, both spiritually and physically. But Father, I pray you would, you would, you would focus our attention, you'd, you'd heighten our senses, heighten our awareness, Lord, to focus on what this is. Father, for most in this hearing of this, this will be a reminder of things they've heard all their lives. Father, use it to your glory. For some listening to the sound of my voice, this may be the first time they've ever heard the psalm. May they hear the gospel clearly through it. Father, wherever we are, may we seek to glorify you in it. Thank you so much, Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' name. And God's people said... Amen. Well, there's a story about a young boy who was going to recite Psalm 23 for Sunday school. And we used to do those sorts of things. We don't really do that much anymore. And he was nervous and he forgot the opening line. He, he said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not worry about it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not worry about it. Not I shall not want, but I shall not worry about it. He missed the exact words of the psalm. And I think, that, but, but, the, but the sense is there. If the Lord is your shepherd, you really have nothing to worry about, right? I mean, in essence, that's what he's saying in the psalm. There's nothing, there's no one in this life that can bring us satisfaction except God himself. And so those who trust in the Lord can live with confidence that he is watching 
over us. That's the thing. And the big idea today, very simple as this, is that God is worthy of your trust alone. We're going to break that down. Let's start in verse 2. I want you to see first off how the Lord watches over those who trust in Him. The Lord watches over those who trust in Him. It says, He makes me lie down in green pastures and He leads me beside still waters. Now, these two statements are continuing kind of the shepherd sheep thing that we have. The Lord is the shepherd and we're the, we're the not-so-smart sheep, right? Who watch, and he still watches over those who trust in him. Notice, first off, he provides nourishment. Did you see that? Sheep are kind of like baby humans or even toddlers. They're not able to hunt down or dig up their own food. Well, a toddler can find cookies and things, but sheep really can't. They need a shepherd to point them to the pastures that are green and good. And if it's green pastures, they won't be as hungry because they're going to get the good stuff. So a faithful shepherd, God, leads his sheep to green pastures. And once he leads them there, he makes them lie down. Now, if you've ever had to put a kid to bed, you could probably laugh at that statement. Now, trying to get a kid to go to sleep, even if they're well-behaved, is a hard task. But the shepherd knows what is best for his sheep. He knows the road ahead. And because we trust God, when we're really trusting him, we are like a kid who's at ease with the world. We lie down when we're told because we know everything's going to be okay. He makes me lie down in green pastures. This is how the Lord works. He makes me lie down. So this isn't one of those, Lord, I'm going to lay down. Just give me a minute. Just let me, you know, you're not gritting your teeth at the Lord here. You're calm. You're ready because you know he's got you. He's providing nourishment. You also see at the end of verse 2, he provides refreshment. The Lord provides refreshment. It says at the end of verse 2, it says, and he leads me beside still waters. Once the sheep are, are satisfied with their hunger, guess what? They're going to need something to drink. Makes sense? So he leads them beside still waters. Just as the pastures must be green, the waters must be still. If you've ever been in the Colorado Rockies before and tried to stand in one of those mountain things, uh, mountain rivers, mountain streams, with all the melted snow coming down at any time, especially in the summer, you know how easy it is to lose your balance. And you got to watch little kids, don't you? Because they think, oh, it's fun, and they could, I mean, sadly get swept away, and that does happen. But the good shepherd dams up the brook of, of rushing waters and makes it still. He makes it so that his sheep are ready to drink because the water has calmed down. And this is how the Lord watches over your physical needs. He makes us lie down in green pastures. He, he gets us to a place of trust that we trust and that we're okay to sit down. But not only that, he brings us beside the waters that are still. But notice in verse 3, he, he, he leads us, he watches over our spiritual needs, not just our physical, not just our refreshment and our nourishment, but also our physical needs. Look at verse 3. It says, he restores my what? He restores my soul, not just the body, but the soul. This is speaking of spiritual things. He leads me in the path of righteousness for whose sake? For the church's namesake? For the Southern Baptist's namesake? No, for his namesake. So in this verse, David drops the shepherd sheep thing. He kind of gets rid of that really quick. And, and, and instead, he's saying that the Lord can be trusted to meet our physical needs. Look, look at the beginning of verse 3 again. He says, the Lord can give restoration to those who stray. He says in verse 3, he restores my soul. One reason we picked Psalm 23 today is last week in James, we kind of talked about this at the end. Do you remember that in James 5, 19? We talked about the one who, who runs away or strays from the truth. We're supposed to pull him back in. Do you remember that? 
Isn't it interesting how James uses a lot of the metaphors that are in Psalm 23? In verses 1 and 2, David described how good of a shepherd God is. He meets their physical needs. But this here is there's a time when the sheep will stray. There's a time when your soul is going to need restoration. And the shepherd is unceasingly and unpeachably good that even though you're going away, he's still coming after you. You see the picture? There are times when the sheep will look for nourishment in barren pastures. There are times when the sheep, just like all of us, will think that the other side of the fence is the best place to be. But guess what? The sheep still go to the bathroom on the other side of the fence, just like they do on this side of the fence. It doesn't mean it's always better. And there are three times when the sheep will look for, or there are, there are times, excuse me, when the sheep will look for refreshment in polluted wells. Isaiah 53, 6 says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one of us to his own way, and the Lord has laid down on him, speaking of Christ, the iniquity of us all. We're all like sheep who've gone astray. We need restoration. We've intentionally turned from God, but the good shepherd does not leave us there or forsake us. He restores our souls. Christian, if you have been saved, this is a picture of you. Jesus told the parable about the, the, the one sheep that got away, and what did, what, did, what did the parable say? That he just let that sheep kind of roam out there by himself? Absolutely not. He went after him with reckless abandon. And he laid our iniquity on the Lord Jesus Christ. When all of us had gone astray, he laid our iniquity on Christ, and he sought after us like that sheep who had gone astray. He has restored your soul. If there's anything to be grateful in this pandemic, it is that Jesus has saved your soul. But he also gives guidance from straying away. Did you notice that in verse 3? He says, he leads me in the paths of righteousness. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. There are at least three assurances here. First off, he tells us that God faithfully leads those who trust him. You know, my wife and I have mentioned this before. We kind of, we've got a habit, good or bad, of watching that old 30-year-old show, Unsolved Mysteries. Have you ever seen that before? Where the announcer of that show makes you seem like you're in a horror movie. It's Robert Stack. It's on, tonight on Unsolved Mysteries. He's got that voice about him. But there are things we've watched before, and these are real-life stories of real people, and you see people who are the pillars of their community. I mean, really, the pillars of their community, leading people, and people love them, and they're, they're cherished, and they're, they're, they're great in the community, but behind the scenes, they're stealing money, they're embezzling, they're doing all sorts of crazy stuff. But that's not our God. He leads us. When He leads us, He faithfully leads us in passive righteousness, in the straight path. God is never going to lead you astray. He's always going to get you where you need to go. And secondly, you can trust Him to do what is right. Isn't that great? Every time that the Israelites went out, they knew God would get them there. But the best news is it's for His name's sake. Shepherd would raise sheep for their wool in those days, and he, he would lead them to the market to sell their coats. But the shepherd would choose the path carefully to get to the market. If he showed up with a wounded or maimed or, or, or beat-up sheep, it would hurt his profits. So he would lead his sheep in the straight path to the marketplace. And this is how the Lord leads us. In paths of righteousness, his reputation is at stake. Do you remember when Moses was leading the people and God was getting ready to literally eradicate, wipe off the face of the earth all the people? Moses prayed to God and he said, God, but for your name's sake, don't do this. As God restores our soul, he also, his word is on the line. There was a story told about Albert Einstein, the great thinker who had the fuzzy, weird-looking hair. 
and uh, it was asked of, her, of his wife if she understood the, the theory of relativity, that thing E equals MC squared, that thing. I don't know what that means. I'm sure the smart people can tell you here. And she replied, Einstein's wife replied, no, I don't, but I know my husband. And if he says it's true, you can trust him. If that can be said about another person, how much more should we say that about God? Wherever he leads us, he will lead us well. But notice also that he's going to walk with us. Look at verse 4. He's not only going to watch over us, he's going to watch or he's going to walk with us. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. So David is leading them through a place, or God is using David to show that the shepherd at times is going to have to lead them through tough places. He's going to have to put them in places where they are going to lack confidence, where they're going to think, um... I'm not sure this is the best way to go. But yet, David's confidence in God does not change in the valley. It actually gets stronger. But there's some good news and bad news here I want you to see. First, you can trust in God. You can trust in God will not keep you from going through the valleys of life. He will not keep you from going through the valleys of life. Many of you have heard of this book before, but Harold Kushner wrote a bestseller about 30 years ago called When Bad Things Happen to Good People. You ever heard of that title before? When bad things happen to good people. Unfortunately, he lost his son. He died uh, of a very rare disease uh, at a young age, and he was a Jewish man. But Kushner gave the wrong answer to the important question. The question itself is a bit misleading. It implies that good people, whoever they are, wherever they are, should be exempt from experiencing bad things. But you know what? The Bible says, what does it say? There are how many good people? There's none. There's no, not one. So when he titled his book, When Bad Things Happen to Good People, that's actually false. Because that happened to one time. That happened to one person. Do you remember who that was? It happened to Christ. The ultimate thing happened to one person, and that was Jesus Christ. Job 5.7 says, A man is born to trouble as sparks fly upward. Job 14.1 says, Man is born of a woman, and in his days are full of trouble. Bad things don't just happen to bad people. They happen to all people. Mark it down. God only had one child who lived in this world without sin, Jesus, but he has no children who live in this world without suffering, including Jesus himself. And David admits there are times when you have to go through the valley. But this isn't popular today, right? I mean, isn't this so funny? We love this psalm, but we don't love the truth about this psalm. David is not confessing he's in the valley because he strayed away. He's confessing that God brought him to the valley. Did you see that? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. God put him there. God brought the hard times. God brought the pandemic. God brought COVID-19. But he says he will still, remember verse 3, he will lead me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So what is this valley he's speaking of? Well, a sick bed can be a valley of the shadow of death. A broken heart can be the valley of the shadow of death. An unmet need, the unemployment line, the death of a loved one is the most popular application of this, or the loss of your reputation. But one thing that is true here is that your trust in God will not keep you from going through the valleys of life. Remember that those hard times are only a shadow. They're only a shadow. They are here today and gone tomorrow. Guys, I don't know what the next year will bring. Can you believe we've only been in the pandemic for roughly about, about four and a half months-ish around this area, about mid-March? Doesn't it seem so long ago? Easter has been about 13 weeks ago. That seems like two years ago. 
It's crazy because it changes all the time. But what he is telling us here is even though we walk through these times, God will keep you from living in fear of those things that threaten your life. Look at the end of verse 4. You know this well. He says, for you are what? You're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. David does not have any control over his reality. David does not have control over what's happening, but he does have control over the response to his reality. He does have control over not being afraid of evil, not being afraid of dangerous things, not being afraid of those things lurking in the valley. I was one of those kids, maybe you were. I had a nightlight at night because I was afraid of something jumping out of the closet or underneath the bed to grab me at night. I mean, maybe, that, maybe you still have that fear. Sometimes you do. I run down some lonely country roads sometimes, and I, want, I hear rustling in the bushes. I know it's a raccoon, but it seems like a monster to me. That's all I know. But he says, or it could be a Sasquatch. That's right. It might just be Sasquatch, and we don't know it somewhere in Missouri. But if you're trusting in the Lord, David says, look, it doesn't mean you're immune to fear. It doesn't mean you shouldn't have fear. You don't experience fear. But what he's reminding you is at least a couple things here. First, that the Lord is present. He's present with you. David says that he's not afraid of evil things because the shepherd is with him. God is with him. You know, it's like that story one day of a, of a very pretty woman who walked down the street. And, of course, a guy noticed her. And he, was, and he asked to accompany her. He asked if he could take a walk with her. She said, no thanks, and, and, and said that she, was gonna, that she had someone that was going to walk with her. And the man watched and was curious and never saw anything. He, she, he thought, no, he, he must be lying to me. I don't see anybody. So he, he, he kind of got up to her and confronted her and said, where are you? There's no one with you. What are you talking about? You said someone was going to be with you, but I didn't see anyone join you. Can I join you now? She agreed, but added, rest assured, whenever you see me, I have someone with me. Who is she talking about? Of course, the Lord. This is the believer's testimony. Whatever valley you may be in, know that you're not in it by yourself. You're not walking alone. The Lord is with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Here's some verses. Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Isaiah 8.10, take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak a word, but it will not stand, for God is with us. Psalm 16.8, I set the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand and I shall not be shaken. The Lord is with you. But notice, secondly, there at the end of verse 4, that the Lord has prepared to help you. He says, your rod and your staff, your rod and your staff. James Montgomery Boyce, the great Presbyterian preacher, said it this way. He said, we are never so conscious of the presence of God as when we pass through life's valleys. When do you most recognize God working in your life? It's when hard times come, isn't it? When you most recognize on a human level when things are working to that health, uh, when you start eating well and you start noticing more energy or you start working out and yeah, you're tired, you're sore, but that's a sign that it's working. Something's not off. And when David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. We need to remind ourselves these are the basic equipment that the shepherd used. His rod, a club, was in one hand and a staff, his long stick was in another. In other words, the shepherd never came empty-handed. David says, I'm comforted and my heart is at ease and I know everything is going to be all right because my Lord has my back. He's pointing me in the right direction and he's got the firepower to take out whatever comes my way. But let's be careful here. This is not me and Christian that you're immune, again, to anything in this life. It doesn't mean that you won't get sick 
Does it mean that you might not get a virus? Does it mean that someone may not pass away? Those are realities of life. But it does mean that the Lord is with you all the time. You know this truth, Christian. You know these things to be true. But do you live them out? Do you live like these verses are true? Do we, do I, do, do, do our families live like these verses are true? May God give us wisdom to live them out. We'll close with this. Notice verses 5 and 6. He not only walks with us, he not only watches over us, but the final point is, is that the Lord welcomes those who trust in him. The Lord welcomes those who trust in him. Look back at verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. You know, verses 1 to 4, the Lord has been described as a good shepherd. And then we get to verses 5 and 6, and it kind of doesn't make any sense, right? Uh, the Lord is described as a gracious host, but we no longer are sheep in God's flock. We are now guests in His house. And I want you to see this. Verse 5 tells us that we can live in the abundance of God's generous hospitality. We can live in the abundance of His hospitality. And David, he says, look at my enemies. David pictures himself as in the great court of a great king. Um, I think Aaron Redenbaugh, one of my friends and one of our visitors here is out there. We've been to the great castles of England 20 years ago when we were young high school students. Amazing pictures, amazing places. Many of you have been to big castles like that. But you know in those castles, as you even see in the movies, that they prepare long banquet tables bigger than our church. I mean, they're huge. They literally could seat hundreds of people from end to end. Maybe we need to invest in one of those for our dinners. I don't know. But some of David's enemies were also there. We read this morning in our family devotionals about David and Saul. Do you remember that? Saul got jealous of David because David was blessed by God. So Saul started grabbing out the spears and throwing them at David. Do you remember that? Yet David was supposed to sit there and take it. And David chose to sit by his enemy, or Saul's perceived enemy, David. But where would he go from his enemies? Where could he go? Or will he enjoy the hospitality of the host? And David chose to enjoy the hospitality of his host in spite of his enemies, knowing that people didn't like him. Literally, David's enemies were not really his enemies, but they were now the enemies of his host, the Lord. So David was able to enjoy the meal in spite of his enemies because he was confident the Lord had his enemies under control. I mean, look at this. Get, get what is being said here. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. What are the enemies of a Christian? The enemies of the Christian are, are, are the flesh, are, are the devil, and the things of this world, John tells us. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the corruption of this world. Friend, you can sit wherever you need to sit, and God's presence is always going to be with you. You can sit in the most dangerous jungle prison for Christians, or as Pastor Nelson mentioned on Facebook today, you can sit in a Chinese prison because of your faith. The Lord is with you. David says, bring me whoever you got. He who's with me is greater than he who's not with me. Do you remember that story of Elisha in, in 2 Kings chapter 6? Elisha saw the uh, Armenian army coming against him, and his servant got really nervous, and he, he would do what you and I would do. He said, Elisha, you're nuts. Why are you just sitting there? And Elijah prayed. I don't remember exactly. He prayed the prayer, God opened his eyes so that he could see. Do you remember that story? And when his eyes opened, he saw everything as Elisha did, and he saw the Lord's army, his angelic army surrounding the physical army. David could have confidence in the worst of circumstances because he knew God was literally with him every step of the way. But then he says, look at my head. Did you notice this? God's going to anoint you with oil on your head. Is it olive oil? 
Is it cooking oil? We have no idea what it is. But we do know this. The custom of those days was to wash your guests' feet from dust and dirt so that you would be hygienic. But it was also to put oil on their heads because guess what? After you've been outside for a little bit, you stinketh is what the King James said about Lazarus. Lazarus, you remember that? When he was in the grave, he said he stinketh. And God says, you know what? When you are walking through this valley, when you are going through this time, I'm going to make sure that you're taken care of physically, you're taken care of spiritually, but you're also going to be taken care of through hospitality. I'm going to provide for you. No matter where I am, no matter where you go, no matter what it is, I've got you. And he goes on. He says, look at the cup. He says, not only will he provide for me in presence of my enemies, he'll provide for me in that way, but my cup overflows. What does this remind you of? Does this not remind you of Matthew 26, 39, when Jesus prayed in the garden? My father, if it possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. One's cup refers to the circumstances of life. And when he says, my cup overflows, what he's saying is, look, this is where I'm at. This is what God's put me through. But God has always provided enough. He's always given me enough. It overflows with his generosity. If the Lord gave what David deserved, he would have wrath and judgment and execution and condemnation. But God took out of the cup what David deserved. And he left the cup empty. He poured in blessings and goodness and mercy and compassion and favor, but it wasn't just half full. Maybe you're one of those people where the life is always just, the glass is always half full kind of thing. David's cup was overflowing. It's like our kids learning to pour the milk into the, into the little cup at home. You know, you, you give them some freedom, you give them some space, but the next thing you know, that $3.79 gallon of milk's all over the floor, right? That's David's cup right now. It was filled to the brim. And after David was full, the Lord kept pulling in blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing. Christian, that is us. We may not have all the resources of the world. We may not have all the things of the world, but we have Christ, and that is enough. And that's what he says. And when Jesus said, Lord, let this cup pass from me, what he was saying is, God, take the wrath away. We don't have to worry about God looking and frowning on us anymore. That's been done. Jesus did it once for all. He took the wrath. He bore the pain. He received all the judgment we deserve so that God could fill our cup with blessing and overflowing. The wrath of God is no longer on our heads. You can sleep well at night. It's been taken care of. And he says in verse 6, he says, Surely goodness shall follow me all the days of my life. What's he saying? He's declaring that God's faithfulness is there every day. Your health will fail you. Your money's going to run out. You're going to order a Walmart checkout order like we did yesterday and get the basics of bread, ketchup, and something else. And they didn't even have those because the pandemic ran out of them at that particular Walmart. But it doesn't matter because God is still good. It's the little things that remind you of these passages, I'm telling you. Charles Spurgeon said that goodness and mercy are God's twin attributes. They're God's footmen. Why do we need them? I mean, wouldn't goodness be enough alone? Not really. John Phillips said it this way. He said, goodness takes care of my steps. Goodness takes care of my steps. Mercy takes care of my stumbles. Say that again. Goodness takes care of my steps. Mercy takes care of my stumbles. John Phillips quote, you need goodness to help you stay on your feet, but you need mercy to help you when you have fallen down. God does this for us. Because God's love will not let us go, we can dwell in His house forever. Aren't you grateful for that? 
as we pass loved ones into eternity, as we, as we passed a, a, a super saint here at Tower View Baptist Church this last week and continue to pray for the family of the lost, we are reminded of this one thing, that there will always be God's presence with us. Heaven is not pearly gates. Heaven is not golden streets. Heaven is not playing football in the backyard, although I'm sure we'll participate in those things. Heaven is what it says in Psalm 26.3, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You're never going to be kicked out of heaven. You're never going to be removed from heaven. You're never going to have the blood of Christ taken away from you. Why? Because the Lord is your shepherd. If you were your shepherd, you would have already gone that way. I'm going to say something. I've quoted it before. John MacArthur, the great preacher, said this. He said, if you could lose your salvation, you would. Stop and think about that for a second. If you could lose your salvation, you would. But guess what? God's not you. God's not me. God is God. He's got us. Hold on to it. He will hold you forever. Christian, as we go through these times, maybe we be reminded of the presence of our Lord. Church, as we go through these times and we talk about next, well, how do we minister? How do we, how do we reach out to people? How do we, all a lot of big questions, God is with us and he will continue to be with us. If you're really struggling this week, Pastor Nelson made great note of this. There's not a Bible verse you're going to read and poof, all your anxiety is going to go away. But this is a good thing to pray through. This is a good thing to read through, good thing to memorize if you have not already, Psalm 23. Let's bow our heads and let's go before the Lord as we close today. Father, as we come before you, we are grateful that you have not left us to our own devices. That, Father, if we are yours in Christ, you hold us forever in Jesus Christ because of what your Son has done. We have been called by you, Father. We have been saved through your Son. We've been sealed by the Spirit, the Trinity at work. Yet, Lord, we know this to be true, that we can stray. But, Lord, I thank you that uh, as we stray, you are the good shepherd that comes after us. But, Father, if we continue to stray and we never are brought back to the fold, that shows us that we are not a sheep, but we're a goat among sheep, as Jesus said in Matthew 25. So, Father, as we take comfort in these passages today, very familiar words, may you remind us, no matter where we are, our feet are planted, no matter where you call us, no matter what we do, you are truly always with us. You never leave us nor forsake us. You never slumber nor sleep. Father, you are always providing Lord, it's easy to get uh, uh, kind of just, you know, very insular with that. It's easy to get, just let that just soak in and take that for granted. Father, may we not take that for granted. Even today, the very food we partake in, even today, the very things you promised us, you are providing day after day. But at the same time, use us here, Lord, because so many do not know you as their shepherd. They know you rather as someone other than who you are. Thank you for your love, your mercy, and your grace. As we close in our last song, Lord, would you be lifted high. We pray all this today in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen.